So the epistle reading is going to be from Philemon again, but the um, lectionary readings for today from the uh, Genesis and from the Gospel reading are both about marriage. The Lord God said, this is from the Garden of Eden, right? The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading is from Philemon again, and uh, the letters, uh, the what are the four verses that are in bold there, are uh, the ones that the sermon's going to be about. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphi, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet... I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become both useful, has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord." So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Pharisees came and tested Jesus by asking, 
Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Where did Moses command you, he replied. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, uh, Philemon. Let's talk about Philemon again. So last week we uh, started off. Uh, Paul starts off his letters like, uh, this is just a rehash of last week real quick. Paul starts off his letters like everybody in the ancient world start off their letters uh, like you start off your letters, if you write letters, uh, with a greeting. Uh, greetings. He switches his greeting around to, instead of saying, uh, greetings to you, it says, uh, grace to you, which in Greek sounds a lot more similar than even it does in English. But uh, one of the things we saw last week is that, uh, Paul, before he begins his letter, before he talks about this really, really important and kind of scary thing that he's got to talk about with Philemon, starts off with grace and peace. This is, this is going to work. Philemon, if God gives us grace and gives peace uh, to both of us and peace to his church, that's the only way it's going to happen. You know, Paul realizes that he can't, he can't guilt people into doing what's right. This is one of the dangers that we all have, uh, is, you know, guilting people, like saying things like, if you don't do this, God's not going to be happy, or I mean, even just implying that most of us wouldn't say something like that out loud. We do this with our kids, of course is we try and scare them into doing right, or most of you who are parents have just tried everything, right? You've tried every card that you have in your deck to try and get your kids to do what you uh, want them to do. Uh, guilt is one of the things um, that we use with our kids. I mean, guilt is one of the things that I'm tempted to use with the church to try and get stuff done. It's really, really important that you sign up for this thing. And if you don't, it's just not going to happen. And then, you know, what kind of church would we be then if we didn't have this program? And um, th- the problem with guilt is that, and Paul knows this in his dealing with, uh, dealings with Philemon, that, you know, Paul could say, look, slavery's immoral. Get rid of your slaves. He can do that. Philemon might obey him, but it wouldn't be because Philemon has been impacted by the grace of Jesus Christ. And what Philemon would be doing would just be out of compulsion. It would be legalism. He would be doing something because it's the right thing to do, not because God motivated him with his grace to obey him. So what Paul's going to do instead of like coming down with the guilt on Philemon's head, Paul's going to, uh, Paul's going to hit him with grace. Uh, and we'll start to see that a, a little bit in the reading today. And it'll, it'll get even more clear in the upcoming weeks. But let's look at uh, verses um, 4 through 6. I always thank God as, as I remember... Sorry, let me start over again. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. 
I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. It's typical Paul. Paul starts off his letters usually with a greeting, and then he does this thing. And for those of you who've read Paul a lot, you'll see exactly what I'm doing. Uh, well, you, you'll, you'll recognize this. He gives thanks, and he prays, and then he says, here's why I'm giving thanks for you, and here's what I'm praying for you about. I give thanks all the time because, etc. In, in my prayers, I pray for you nonstop, you know, night and day without ceasing or something like that. He does the same thing with Philemon. I'm praying for you. I'm giving thanks for you. Let's talk about these two things he, he does here in this section. Is he's praying for Philemon and he's giving thanks for Philemon. And let's start off with the Thanksgiving part because that's what he starts off with. I always thank my guys. I remember you were prayers for two reasons. Verse five, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Because you, Philemon, have faith in Jesus. You trust in Jesus Christ. And number two, you have love for the whole church. A couple things about this. First of all, for, for Paul, these two things always go together. There's no such thing as somebody who has faith in Christ but not love for the church. And the whole point of this letter here is that if you're going to have love for the church, it has to flow out of faith in Jesus Christ. Else, like almost all of our loves, it's self-serving. right? So for Paul, being a Christian and being a part of the body go hand in hand. You can't separate those. So I, again, to pull out a cliche here, like the whole, uh, you know, solo Christian notion, which if I say something, if I say something really cliche-ish, like Lone Ranger Christian, everybody's like, okay, Lone Ranger Christian, whatever. It would just kind of turn me off. But we all have this temptation. We all have this temptation. And um, most of the people who I visit on Sunday afternoons who haven't been attending church, but probably should be attending church, will almost always, they'll never say to me, you know what, I just realized I hate Jesus and I hate the Christian church. None of them say that. They almost always say, well, yeah, I, I mean, I believe in Jesus, but you know, I, I still pray. I, I, I try to read my Bible every once in a while. I don't know how important coming to church is, especially because we're really, really busy right now, and my kid has a lot of soccer games on Sunday. But, but seriously, though, I still, I, I still believe and uh, you know, I want to do what's right. That's sort of like, I can be a Christian without being connected to a community doesn't exist in Paul's mind. It's actually going to be the grounds of his appeal to, to Philemon is that you belong to a community and this community transcends socioeconomic barriers. And so you're going to need to look at Onesimus in a different way. So first thing, for these two, you know, having faith in Jesus and love for all the saints go hand to hand, hand in hand for Paul. But the second thing is this is a little, this is completely different uh, uh, line of attack here is that Paul is taking the long view with Philemon. Philemon is a slave owner. That's bad. I just went with my kid on a field trip uh, last week to Springfield to the Lincoln Museum. And if you've been to the Lincoln Museum, they have these little tableaus that you walk through, which, you know, designed to like picture events in Lincoln's life or picture the way that the country was before Lincoln became president. And there's this one slave market uh, tableau, and there's this, you know, this, uh, like, auctioneer's platform, and there's this, uh, family, this slave family being torn apart. The husband is being sold away from his wife and kids, and the kids are screaming and crying, and the wife is reaching out for her husband, and he's turned back, sort of reaching back for her. And then this, the, the guy who's selling the slaves, the slave auctioneer in the middle, he look, he, he looks like evil incarnate. 
He has, his hair is all like ratty and long, and he's got this evil look on his face, and he's underlit with this red lighting, so he kind of looks like a demon. Whoever built that, why did they do that? Because you don't know the man. It's actually just a mannequin, but you, you don't know the man who's being portrayed. But they're trying to let you know visually that the selling of human life for money is an evil, evil thing. And that's the best way they had to do it, is to like depict this guy as really, really evil. Philemon could be pictured that way, you know, by, by those of us in the 21st century West. We could look back and we could picture Philemon as an evil man. And, and certainly, this is a grave sin against God, the owning of slaves. Paul doesn't just say, you know what? You have a problem with pornography. You have a problem with, like, you love money too much. You have a problem with laziness. You and your wife are not getting along. I can deal with those things. Slaveholders, uh-uh, I'm cutting you off. I, I, I might shoot some, uh, some barbs your way on Twitter, but, but, but I'm not, I can't deal with people like that. But Paul doesn't do that, though. He's bought into this guy, evil and all. That's the attitude that we need to have with each other. You're going to find out, if, if, if you live life in this church long enough, and this is one of the reasons why most of us, not, not most of us, but a lot of us, keep a, a little bit of wall of distance between us and the rest of the people in the church, is because you know that there is some stuff, there's some slave owning in your own life that's going on. And then when people find out, they're going to look at you like you have this nasty hat on and long hair frizzed out here and there and red light underneath your chin. And we're scared to death of that. And we can't be scared to death of that. Paul looks at Philemon and sees somebody who is a lover of Jesus Christ in spite of on the same... Paul gets that whole sinner and saint thing. Paul gets that this guy loves Jesus Christ and at the same time, his life is wrecked with this horrible sin. Paul's bought into that. And we have to be as well. Again, this is a lot of this is about community because Philemon is about community. Philemon is about the gospel, which means it's about community. So Paul gives thanks and he uh, uh, prays for Philemon. This is the second thing we want to talk about is Paul's prayer for Philemon. Look with me at verse uh, 6. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. So let me say this real quick. Verse 6 is the theological heart of this letter. If Paul is going to get Philemon to give up being a slave owner, verse 6 is the trump card. Verse 6 is the way he's going to do it. Everything else in the letter is going to flow out of verse 6. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. All right, so let's talk about that first phrase. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. What does it mean to share your faith? Well, here's the way that most of us use that language. Sharing your faith means evangelism, right? Like being willing to say to somebody, hey, I believe in Jesus, I think Jesus is the Lord of the universe. Um, we're all sinners. You should believe in Jesus too. I think that sharing your faith is super, super important. But that is not what Paul's talking about here. And this, this translation, I think the ESV does the same thing here. I think. But I don't know. The NIV uses the word sharing, which means one thing. But it actually, in Greek, it doesn't mean anything like that. The, word, the Greek word behind sharing there is a word that some of you will know. It's the word... Uh, koinonia, which is the word for fellowship. It doesn't mean like sharing your faith in the sense of talking to unbelievers about your faith, although again, you should. It means sharing your faith in the fellowship sense, like Christians together sharing a faith life. 
Koinonia is an extremely powerful word. It gets translated, a lot of times it gets translated fellowship. What does fellowship mean? Usually we use the word fellowship to mean like we're going to get together and eat some donuts downstairs or something like that. Fellowship, I mean, that's a part of fellowship. Fellowship is is a much more primal word than that. That's like an outgrowth of fellowship. Fellowship has been stripped of its meaning by being strictly eating donuts with people downstairs. Instead of experiencing being a fellow with each other. Being, not just friends. Friends has the connotation of we all get along. And we all have stuff in common. And we all like to see each other all the time. Fellows. Compatriots. Comrades. Friendship is a part of it, but it's much deeper than that. Like for, for comrades, the friendship is a part of it, but there's actually a larger goal. There's a larger, more deep-seated committed to each other, which transcends friendship. It's actually, it shouldn't say transcends. It's even deeper and more profound than friendship. This is what Paul is saying to Philemon, is that you need, I, I pray, give you the exact words here, I pray that you may be active in the fellowship of your faith. I pray that you may be active in sharing mutual life together with the rest of God's people. That you may know what it's like not to be the rich dude in the church who owns the slaves and he's got a house big enough that people can meet in your house for worship services. I pray that you may know what it's like to be a full-on brother with the rest of your brothers and sisters. To be completely connected, to have a shared life with everybody else in this church. Acts 2.42, remember we read this a ton. A few months ago, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is, you know, this shared life together. It's not just for Paul. This is the way he usually, this is the way he usually uses it is like fellowship. But it's not just this concept of shared life together. It's also a practical thing as well. Let me show you a different way that Paul uses koinonia. In Romans 15, 26, Paul is talking about, Paul, Paul's invited all the churches in Greece to pull a bunch of money together and ship it off to Jerusalem to benefit the church in Jerusalem who's going through some hard times. And here's what he says in Romans 15, 26. He says, for Macedonia, he's talking to the church in Rome, and he's saying, hey, you guys should give because look, everybody else is giving. Macedonia and Achaia, it's basically northern Greece and southern Greece, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Okay, but, but actually the word for contribution he uses there is the word koinonia. The, the, the church in, in Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make fellowship for the church in Jerusalem. See how he's using the word fellowship there? It's not just like, you all like each other, right? You get together once a week to make sure you touch base and hear some Bible reading and some sermons, and then you're on the way. No, fellowship, koinonia, is something you do. It's something that you are, but it's also something that you experience. And if that means taking the money out of your pocket and giving it to somebody else in the church who needs it, that's what you would do. You would do that with your kids, right? You would do that with your spouse. If your spouse came to you and said, I need some money for this, you would say, well, yeah, my money is your money. It wouldn't even, you wouldn't even need to ask. But if somebody in church needs money, we're almost like, gosh, this is America. Get a job. You know, or get a better job. There's a wall between us. For Paul, though, fellowship, life together means contribution. In fact, he uses it as a synonym for contribution. 
Fellowship is both this concept of life together, but it's also rubber meeting the road. Like you show up for people's lives. We know each other. I know what you're struggling with. You know what I'm struggling with. I know what makes you happy. You know what makes me happy. You know what I'm scared of. I know what you're scared of. And when I'm scared of it, you're scared of it with me. And when you're happy, I'm happy with you. The only way we can do this is actually to do life together, right? So, this is uh, next part. Of, next part of this phrase. What does Paul do with this fellowship? I pray that you may be active in sharing your life together and having this faith life together, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You will not have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ until you share this life together with the church. You can't like come in here once a week, sing some songs, hear a sermon, go home, have no contact with the community, and experience every good thing that is yours in Jesus Christ. You just can't do it. Life together is the only place you can experience this. Can we talk real quick here about the question, what are the good things? I mean, that's, I, that's a question that I have. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. What is every good thing that we might have in Christ? Is Paul being intentionally vague here? Like, I can't tell you what every good thing is. You kind of got to figure that out on your own. Or maybe later on in the letter, I'll tell you what the good things are. Or maybe he doesn't even really have anything specific in mind. He's just like, hey, if you're sharing life together, you're going to experience a bunch of good things. Is it that? Or is it more like this? That life together actually is the good thing. That what Paul is saying here is that, that, that this verse is something more along the lines of like, if I said to you, if I said to you, you will know what good lasagna is if you go to Sugo's and order the lasagna. Then you'll know what good lasagna is. If I say, you've heard people say this before, you won't know what true love is until you have kids, and then you'll know what true love is. I think that's actually what Paul is saying here. Is like, if you experience life together, then you're going to know what every good gift is. Because every good gift is life together. Not that it's not messy, Not that it's not super painful. Look, it's really hard when you find out that somebody who's close to you is struggling with something that disappoints you or is struggling with some sort of health issue that's going to demand that you're going to have to give up your time and your own little private space to benefit. That's not an easy thing, but it is such a good gift. And I've said this so many times, and I keep on saying it, just keep on reaching out to you guys because I keep on getting positive feedback. I I mean, people saying, okay, yeah, yeah, that's me. 90% 90% of you, easily 90% of you, when I talk to you about why you're attending St. James, will say to me, I'm lonely. I've been going to church my whole life. And I've not, ex- I don't have like real friendships. I don't have real strong connections with people. Maybe you're doing church wrong. Maybe you're not really doing fellowship. Maybe showing up for a weekly motivational speech and check-in meeting is not what life in Christ is really about. Maybe if I need to call you and you need to call me on the fact that we're slave owners of some sense, that it's not going to work because we have no connection with each other that gives a basis for making that appeal. Look, a lot of you struggle with Christianity even. Those of you who show up at church, there's some sort of sense like this is good for you, right? Like you should come to church and it's good for my family and... We hear some, maybe some helpful things and we're motivated to be good people. But a lot of you struggle with, is this even true? Is that, 
does God even hear me when, my, when I pray? Maybe your struggle is that you've not yet experienced the good thing that it is to be in Christ because you've cut yourself off from Christ's body. It's hard to be in Christ when you're not a part of Christ's body. So, as we continue going through Philemon, let, let, let's, let this be an emphasis. Let's let, let's let Paul call us to the carpet like he's calling, to, call, calling Philemon to the carpet. To give up our own personal space, our own personal desires, our own personal slaves that are so important to us and we couldn't exist possibly without. To give those up for the sake of the body of Jesus Christ, believing that in Jesus Christ, experiencing the life of Christ in his body, we get every good gift. Amen.